So last week we got the great idea to change how we take communion together because it's cold and flu season. And we know that they've got these prepackaged elements before and we've all used them before so we thought we'd just order them. And they got in and we just put them out and nobody tested them before we put them out to see how you open them and get them going. And uh, Chip was laughing in the video because he actually couldn't get his open either. Uh, so when he tells you at the end it's, ro- it's not rocket science, he's making just as much fun of himself as he is everybody else. But uh, we, uh, we just thought we'd make light of that um, kind of fitting, going with the rest of our morning uh, so far. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we just thought we had fun with that this week and wanted to share that with you. Um, this morning, uh, as, as we start, we've been, we've been in this series called The Real God. We're looking at attributes of God. And uh, we know from, uh, we've been looking at this quote by uh, A.W. Tozer, what comes in our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. It kind of sets, uh, it, it, it gives us lenses through which we can see the world and see God's interaction with the world and in our own life. And um, we, we started out, we've talked about uh, the, the fact that, first off, God should be the most important thing about us. Uh, that should be our first domino. Everything else should go off from there. We also uh, we talked about God's goodness. Um, the fact that uh, uh, God is good and He wants to see good come out of your life. Then we talked about God's sovereignty. The fact that God's in control. Uh, it can look a lot of times like this world is just happenstance. But we know that God is sovereign. God is in control. Uh, And then last week we talked about the fact that God is unique and holy. And God then in turn calls us to be like Him. And so uh, those are the three attributes of God that we've covered. And this morning, uh, as as you could tell by the bumper video, we're going to talk about God's wisdom. And in order to do that this morning, I want us to start off this way. I want you to set everything you have down. uh, Notes, pens, phones, everything you have. I want you to kind of just lean back in your chair, relax for just a little bit, and I'm going to do something that uh, should make every preacher very nervous. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes, okay? And as you're sitting back and you're relaxed and you're closing your eyes, I want you to think about the most difficult, stressful area of your life at this very moment. Could be a relationship that you have, uh, could be work, could be a health issue, um, Maybe it's an aging parent. Maybe it's issues with your kids. Um, perhaps it's just the one person that has become a part of your life through, through work or, or another area that just sucks life and energy out of you. What is the most difficult area of your life at this very moment? This is an issue that if uh, Morgan Freeman movie God, as I like to call him, if he were to come and give you the option of removing one thing from your life altogether, this is the first thing that you would go to and you would ask for. And as you're thinking about that and you have your eyes closed, I just want you to hear this, uh, this quote from A.W. Tozer. To believe actively that our Heavenly Father constantly spreads around us providential circumstances that work for our present good and our everlasting well-being brings to the soul a veritable benediction. Most of us go through life praying a little, planning a little, jockeying for position, hoping but never being quite certain of anything, and always secretly afraid that we will miss the way. This is a tragic waste of truth and never gives rest to the heart. There is a better way. It is to repudiate our own wisdom and take instead the infinite wisdom of God. 
Our insistence upon seeing ahead is, a na- is natural enough, but it is a real hindrance to our spiritual progress. God has charged himself with full responsibility for our eternal happiness and stands ready to take over the management of our lives the moment we turn in faith to him. This morning, um, you, can, you can open your eyes with me and, and pick up notes and um, all those things. This morning, as I was getting ready, I was thinking about that own moment in my own life. And um, I, uh, I really, I did not want to talk about it, to be honest. Um, I, I asked God to, to let me go with a number of other times and places in my life where, you know, I had had a struggle or something popped up. Uh, but God kept bringing me back just to this specific moment. And I, and I don't want to talk about it mostly because it somewhat still stings. And it's still a little bit fresh for Gabby and I. And, um, and, and I, and I think I, I really didn't want to be honest with how I saw God's wisdom playing out in this story. Um, this story uh, starts with Gabby and I living in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. And we had been at the church uh, that we were at there as the youth pastors for four years. And uh, we were, uh, it was kind of, not only do we, do we fully feel God's call to that place, uh, but it was also a, a great location. We were within an hour and a half of Gabby's family, uh, within about six hours of my family, um, and, and it, was, uh, it was a great church. We had developed friendships there, and, and through four years, we just got to know people there, and we were comfortable there. Uh, and then um, we, we kind of felt... a a tug at the end of the fourth year that it was time for us to move and to move on and, and, and to, to find where God was leading us to go next. Um, we, had had, uh, we had had three different lead pastors in four years, the time I was there, and, I, and I've shared that part with you, I think, before. Uh, and so it, it, was, it was a struggle in that regard, and there were certain times, just due to how everything's arranged within the Church of Nazarene, that when a lead pastor leaves, associate staff are, are, are forced to resign uh, under, the, under the manual, and then the church board elects to keep them on, and then the new pastor has the option when they come in to keep them on. And, and so we went through that process twice, uh, and we decided that each time, you know, we would we would be open if God presented an option for us. We would be open to thinking about it. And, and, and there, were, there were times where we did uh, talk to other pastors and interview during those times. But we still felt like God was, was calling us and keeping us in Broken Arrow. Um, until the very end of year number four, we felt like God uh, was, was opening a door for us. And that's when I got a call from a pastor that lived in Chattanooga, Tennessee, that was the lead pastor of one of the churches there. And he called us. Uh, to come uh, to, to interview for a youth ministry position that would also oversee the age-specific ministries of the church. It was not a large church, uh, but it was a church that, as we met with the, the senior pastor during our interview, it was a church that really wanted to uh, make some changes, grow in some areas, uh, better, um, better minister to families with, with kids and with students, uh, a lot of the things that they were doing uh, as far as uh, ministry programs were outdated, and, and they just wanted to breathe new life into them, and, and we would be a part of that if we came. And so uh, after, after going to the interview and praying about it, Gabby and I chose uh, th- that we would do that. And um, like I said, it, it, it had been a great four years at, at, at Broken Arrow, but it also had its challenges. And we were kind of leaving there, maybe with a little bit of uh, ministry bumps and bruises. 
And so we thought this is a great, this is a great time for us to, to move to a, 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 new, uh, a, a new venture in, in, in God's will and plan. And we thought for sure this is exactly what we were supposed to be doing. And uh, so, so we packed up our house. We said goodbye to our, our friends. Uh, my wife left a job that she absolutely loved at a school that she absolutely loved. And we moved to being 15 and a half hours away from Gabby's parents and about 18 hours away from my parents. And uh, being, being alone, uh, it, you know, it takes a little bit to just get settled and get comfortable and uh, to learn where stores are and where uh, the, you know, the, the best gas stations are and to learn where, um, you know, just, just all the things that, that you need in life to, to get comfortable with that and then to get to know the people that are, that are there in the church. And so that, uh, that took a few months for us to, to kind of get that down. And um, we, uh, as... As we were figuring out those things, we also, we had to buy an apartment, not buy an apartment, we had to rent an apartment um, sight unseen. Because uh, when, when we came and we interviewed, we didn't get, the, we didn't have enough time for us to go look around for housing. And so we, basically we just went and looked at pictures online and picked a place. And uh, it, we ended up there, um, rent was high, and it was not the location that we really liked. We were all the way across town, which meant to get from the apartment to the church or from the apartment to the, the school where Gabby was working. It was uh, like 25 to 30 minutes to her school, and it was about 20 minutes from there to, uh, to the church. And so it was just not the most ideal. But then, uh, as, as luck would have it, a brand new house was built in the perfect spot, the perfect price, the perfect area, right? And so we, uh, we then moved for the second time in three months, to from that apartment to this house. And we thought things were, were, we were getting settled. We were now in the house. We, we just felt like, you know, things would, would start for us. We'd start to feel slowly better about uh, just the, the distance and all that kind of stuff. And that's, uh, that's when things at the church began to go south. Um, the, the lead pastor who had been so uh, keen on breathing new life into ministries and, and to um, doing things a different way and, and, and wanting us to, to um, kind of just help with areas where they, he felt like when we interviewed they were um, deficient. Turns out that it sounds good to talk about, but it's really hard to do. And immediately... Um, space that I had been given to operate began to disappear. And, um, and not only just for myself, but even for the other staff members that were on board. And um, all of a sudden, instead of, instead of getting uh, face-to-face time with the lead pastor and having staff meetings, those things just disappeared. And instead of, instead of conversations that could happen in a, in a hallway or, or walking from one office down, down just to another one, uh, memos and emails began to be sent. All right, if you're a professional and you're in a work environment and all of a sudden your boss no longer talks to you but just sends you emails, you know exactly where this is going. Um, all of a sudden, um, we, we felt like we were cut off. And, and the, the thoughts begin to creep in your mind. God, if you called us here, and if you're good, and if you care about us, and if you love us, why is this happening the way that it's happening? Why are we frustrated? Why is he frustrated? Why, uh, why are we this far away from our family, miserable, uh, 
explain. I'm, I'm, I'm at a loss, and I didn't know. And, and my, my own trust in God began to waver a bit. And not only did I start to question whether or not God called us to that church, I began to question, was I supposed to be a pastor? And, and just, you know, how the enemy just plays on moments of weakness. And that's, that's exactly what it was. And, and, and things did not get better. We had a meeting with the, the lead pastor in January of that, of that calendar year we were there. And he said, you know, I've not seen enough growth in your ministry areas to, to, to justify having staff members. So we're going to evaluate this thing in three months and see where we're at. Well, three months didn't change much of anything at all. And uh, on May 1st of that year, uh, the, the Church of the Nazarene has a fiscal year, and it resets at the end of April, beginning of May. And there's, there's a loophole in the manual to allow a church to let go of its staff and just call it a non-renewal for the next year. Because each staff member, they have to be renewed. And we came into a meeting. Uh, we knew it was coming, uh, so it wasn't a, a shock factor, but pay, uh, letters were slid across the table to us, uh, each staff member. And we were all non-renewed together. And it left Gabby and I, like I said, questioning why? Why are we supposed to be here? Are we supposed to be in ministry? Much like the things that I, that I asked you to think about, they, they, they creep into your mind. God, if, if this situation is happening, why, why do I have to have a health issue? Why do, why do my kids have to have health issues? Why, why is my, my boss at work acting this way? Why is, why is our marriage on the rocks? Why is our finances not working out? Why, why, why? And if we fully believe that, that God is working for the good of those who love him, why is this stuff allowed to happen? Uh, I, would, I would be dishonest with you this week if I told you um, I had an incorrect view. Or I had a correct view of God's wisdom before I actually started working and preparing for this morning. Um, I, I, I kind of thought to myself that if bad things happen, it's the result of just a broken world. God is good. God is perfect. God created everything good and perfect. And if there's something that's not going right in my life, not necessarily directed at a, at a, at a sin I may have committed, um, but there, there, has to be, there has to be some explanation because God is good. I believe fully that God was good, and I believe fully that God was in control and sovereign. And so if something was bad and it was going on, it had to just be the result of the fact that, that way back in Genesis, mankind chose to, to disobey God and sin entered the world. But this morning, uh, what, I've, what I've come to kind of understand uh, about God's wisdom is that there are times in our life where God allows us to be uncomfortable, where God allows us to be frustrated, where God allows us to even question Him, him and his, his wisdom and sovereignty and power and and all the things that we've been talking about. Because it's for our own good. And, and we have a very limited perspective. We live in the world. We live in time. We live in space. Uh, we live in a very small part of time and space. And we serve a God and we're created by a God who's outside of everything. And he can see, uh, as one author put it that I read this week, he can see the beginning from the end. 
And, and so God operates differently than we do, and, and his wisdom doesn't always make sense to us in the, in the, in the moment. But what, what a difference it would make in life's most difficult times if we could believe that God was all wise. Looking back on that situation that we endured in Chattanooga, if I really believed that God was all wise, and I believed fully that we were, we were following after God, we were living in a, uh, in, in a godly way, and there, you know, there was no result of, uh, of blatant sin, because let's be honest, sin does carry consequences, right? And so we, we, do, have, we do have to deal with those, but God is good. And God is sovereign, and God is holy like we've been talking about. And today, God is wise. And God knows everything, and God, uh, he, he just sometimes, he orchestrates things a certain way. And I fully believe, now, uh, then at the beginning of this week, I had a totally different outlook on it. But I totally believe now, looking back, I can see the threat of God bringing us to the place where we would already be two and a half to close to three years of enjoying ministry with a great congregation, led us to the place where we had our first son, led us to the place where we get to, we get to work with great staff members and, and awesome teenagers and, and just a great group of, of close friends that we've developed. God had in mind Chattanooga, or God had in mind Napoleon through Chattanooga for us. And, and having the ability to just kind of stand and look back and just to see God's wisdom play out the way that it did. It wasn't comfortable. It didn't feel great. But God was in control of that whole thing. And God was willing to allow Chattanooga for Gabby and I to get us to Napoleon. Because I can tell you right now, the relationships that we had when we lived in Broken Arrow wouldn't have brought us to Napoleon. As it worked out, because we went to Chattanooga, the worship leader, uh, his family, uh, was, his dad was a, a DS before he had passed away, and, and he, had a, he had a brother that was heavily involved in NYI, and his brother uh, had a friend named Damian Spurgeon who also was connected with Pastor Chip. And had I never gone to Chattanooga, I wouldn't have been, become friends with the worship pastor, Justin, and, and Justin wouldn't have been able to introduce me to his brother, Greg, and Greg wouldn't have been able, through a friendship, to connect me with here. And when you stand back and when you look at it, we've probably all been through other struggles in the past where God's allowed us to look back and see his wisdom at work. And it's just cool. It's just neat to see how God orchestrated certain events and, and, and had things play out. So today I want, us to, I want us to further develop and understand God's wisdom. So Defining this, defining God's wisdom. Uh, Burkhoff is, is a German theologian, and this is his classic theological explanation of wisdom. The attribute of God whereby he produces the best possible results by the best possible means. And, and to, to look at this even further, uh, just going to the dictionary, Webster, and this isn't God's wisdom, this is just defining wisdom, uh, but the quality of being wise, the power of judging rightly and following the soundest course of action based on knowledge experience and understanding the root words are to see and to know and this is this is this is interesting this is something that i i, I think helps us out uh, because to see and to know that's that's a life element to wisdom there is a life element 
right? When you go and, and, and you need to seek uh, help from somebody or guidance or advice from somebody, you want to go to somebody who has some life experience in what you're dealing with. Or at least they have knowledge and they're skilled in areas of uh, maybe counseling or psychiatry that you don't have. And you, they can see a broader perspective and they can see where you are and they can see what they know and their knowledge and their history and, and all that. And, and you go to them for those reasons because they can help you to see things. Well, why would we not go to the God who created everything, who sees, like I said, the beginning from the end, who has who has the, uh, the complete understanding of how he's trying to weave his, his thread through your life, why would we not go to God for our wisdom? Why, when we are questioning whether or not we should trust God, why should we, why should we not go to anywhere but, but God himself? Um, another, another definition of, of God's wisdom, I, I didn't have it on a slide, but it's from um, a guy by the name of Dr. Ryrie. He defined God's, um, um, God's omnis, omniscience. I have trouble with saying that. Uh, in a short and very brief way. God knows all things actual and possible. Uh, a, a professor that I had in college explained it to me this way. It's as if God was a, as a, was a chess master. He knew every possible move his student could make on the board. He knew that uh, because the student wanted to impress him, that he was going to try to pull off maybe some really, um, some, some really uh, complicated chess moves. And so he knew exactly what that, what that, that student was going to do. But he also knew all the other moves the student could make. And he knew it, but he let the student make the moves that he knew he was going to make anyway. And then through all of that, he taught. And that is exactly how God works his wisdom in our life. When we look at Romans 11:33, we're told this, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. In your notes, there's a, a, there's a quote by uh, Tozer again that I want to mention. We're, we're talking, we're using Tozer a lot. He's a theologian that uh, flows out of um, the same theological vein that the Church of the Nazarene does. And he says this, wisdom, among other things, is the ability, ability to devise perfect ends to achieve those ends and to achieve those ends by the most perfect means. It sees the end from the beginning, so there can be no need to guess or conjecture. All God's acts are done imperfect. Wisdom first for his own glory and then for the highest good, for the greatest number, for the longest time. Not only could his acts not be better done, a better way to do them could not be imagined. And that's one area where we need to rest in today. If you're struggling with an issue, if you're struggling to understand God's wisdom in your life, know this. If you're following him, if you are, if you are a believer, and God is working out for the good, uh, is working out all things good for those who love him, then we know this. There is not a better way for you to experience what God is trying to do in your life than the present circumstances you're going through. A better way, as Tozer said, couldn't even be thought of or imagined. There's a quick illustration that uh, I want to use. I'm going to, I'm going to tell it quickly because we're, we're coming towards the end of our time today. Um, it's a story that, that many of you, I'm sure, have heard throughout the years, especially if you've been around the church. Uh, there was a, a man who operated train tracks. 
And uh, the way I'm going to tell the story this morning, he, he changed the track direction from going north to going south. And he lived, his, he and his family lived in the country where this, uh, by where this, this station was that he had to go down to every morning and pull a lever as trains would come through. And he had a four-year-old boy, and the boy loved to go down and to be with his dad at the, at the switch. And he would, bring him, he would bring him lunch, and they would come and hang out, and his dad would use that time to teach him about things of the world. And, and they just loved their time together. And it was, it was in a place where the, the family felt totally comfortable with allowing the four-year-old boy to leave the home and to go down and go visit his dad at work. And as the story goes, one day... Um, the, the child made an unexpected trip at an, un, un, at an unexpected time. And when he went down, he got his foot stuck in the track. And it was just enough time for the father to look and see him stuck, and just enough time for him to see a train coming at high speeds that was already set to go a certain direction, the same direction the son had, been, had gotten caught on. And the father, had in that moment, had to make a choice. Do I switch the track to save my son and in doing so at the speed the train is coming derail the train and kill everybody on board or do I leave it the way it is and allow his son to be run over by the train? If in that moment that, that, that man turned and looked at you and said, what should I do? I imagine that most all of us would respond uh, in, the same, in the same way, in the same kind of God the Father to Jesus the Son way. And we would say, you know what? As much as it will hurt, as much as, as pain as it will be, switch the track, or don't switch the track, allow the train to hit your son, but save the 500 people on board of the train. But what if I were to tell you with that same thing that that little boy was the next Billy Graham and hundreds of thousands of people would end up in heaven because of his life and his ministry? Or what if I told you that little boy was the cure to cancer? There are things in our life that we don't know, yet we try to take the control of wisdom, do we not? What if somebody on, the board, on board of the train was the next Billy Graham or the next person to cure cancer or a worldwide epidemic of some kind? The thing is, we operate with such, a, uh, such little vision of, of what actually is going on that we, we try to tell God sometimes how it should work. We go to God and we say, you know, God, um, I really want to know what you think your will for my life is. Uh, I, I want to know it so I can take it into consideration. <laughs> right? We, we've probably all done that. I want to know what you want me to do so I can at least think about it and weigh it out. Um, but if we believe that God is all wise, God knows. God knows the abilities of, of that boy. God knows that situation. God knows what's going on. But the, the hope in sharing that illustration with you this morning is that we do understand that there's a lot we don't understand. And we can't know. And so we have to lean on God's wisdom and we have to lean on, on trusting in God that he is working out the best possible outcome for us the best, by the best means possible for the most amount of people for the longest amount of time. How does God reveal this to us? First, God reveals his wisdom to us through his creation. If you tilt the earth one degree, one way or the other, there are, certain, there are a certain number of people who will freeze to death and a certain number of people who will burn to death. God's wisdom put that in the exact spot it needed to be. When you, when you get, develop a cell within your body, that cell, 
the same cell that we developed anywhere in the body, it, will, it knows that if it's developed over here, it needs to be part of the nervous system. But it knows if it gets developed over here, it needs to be part of the skeletal system. And it just knows. God developed this. God worked. You cannot look at creation and not see the wisdom and the knowledge of God in perfect play. And so God reveals his knowledge to us through his creation. Psalm 104, verse 24 says, How many are your works, Lord? In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Secondly, God reveals uh, his wisdom to us through providence. Like we've been talking about, God orchestrates things. God allows certain things to take place and doesn't allow other things to take place. All to weave his, his thread through our life. It's kind of like God is, God is creating a tapestry. I used to cross-stitch. My mom taught me how to cross-stitch when I was little to give me something to do when I couldn't go outside and I was antsy. Um, she showed me how to do that. When you flip a, when you flip a finished cross-stitching over to the back, it doesn't look like the front. There's knots tied there. There's, it just looks good. But when you flip it back over, it's a, it's a pretty cool picture. Well, God is weaving his thread through your life. And sometimes all we get to see for the longest time is the back. That doesn't make sense. But then when you flip it over, you get to see the finished product on the front. And that's what God was working for. But we can't see, we can't see and know from the back what God's doing in the front. So we got to just allow God to show us that, orchestrate things in our life that way. Third, God reveals his wisdom to us through redemption. First um, Corinthians 2, 6 through 10 says this. How, or we do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or the, uh, or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they would have, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things that God revealed to us by his Spirit. God's wisdom is revealed to us by the redemption act of his son Jesus. From the very beginning of time, God had in, in, in place a plan to redeem humanity from the moment it sinned. And his son was the way. And that brings us to number four, through his son. I think one of the, the most interesting things about this kind of whole thought process of God's wisdom is not only was this God's plan from the beginning, but he actually tricked Satan into carrying it out for him. He, he convinced people that, that, that religious people that his son needed to be put to death, needed to be put to death on a cross. He was taking all their people away from him. He was, he was telling them there was a different way that, 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 God, that, that God could be um, so present in their life and could touch them. And, and they had been so used to having all of these rules and having to stand back and look. And, and so they allowed Satan to, to, to work his, his magic. I have to imagine that, man, when, when, when Jesus even came as a baby in a stall in a manger to a, to a virgin who was 14, who had to endure a lot, probably just to have Jesus. I have to imagine that, that Satan and the demons were feeling pretty good about that. Like, oh, this is your plan? This is your plan? And then carrying it all the way through to Jesus dying on the cross and the disciples who, are supposed to, who, who at that point seemingly are the last greatest hope for God's message and Jesus' message in the church. They're huddled up in a room in fear. 
and Jesus comes back to life, redeems creation, can make a claim that no one else can, and, and, and again, allowed, allowed Satan to fulfill, <laughs> to fulfill this plan and carry it out. This is only, God, only God's wisdom could do this. So what does this mean for us? We have to learn to live wisely. Just like, just like God is holy and has called us to be holy, like we talked about last week, God is wise and he's calling us to learn to live wise. We must reverence God's ways. We need to live in a, uh, a fear of God. And this fear of God is not a, a fear that we should be afraid of God, but we should be in awe of God. It's kind of like that, that moment when you're, you're with your friend as a, as, a, as a little boy or girl, and you're like, your friend tells you, oh, we should go do this. And you're like, I can't do that. If I do that, my parents are going to kill me. You're not worried that your parents are physically actually going to kill you, right? You're just worried that you're going to let them down. You're going to hurt them. You're going you're to make them disappointed in you. And that's the, that's the, that's the way in which God is calling us to, to operate with him. He's our heavenly father. And we should want to make the wisest choices possible. With his, with his help, with, with all the knowledge of, uh, that we have in front of us, allowing, allowing him to, to weave his thread through all those things and show us uh, little bits and pieces of his wisdom. But we should want to be in reverence and in awe of God's ways. All right? And to do that, we must read and understand his word. Uh, it would be crazy to go get something brand new and to try to operate it without the user manual. Men. <laughs> right? We want to grab things that we just think we know how they work, and so we just start rolling, and we don't read the manual, and then all of a sudden we have to go back, or we have to Google it, or we have to watch some video to, to show us how to do it right. Um, whether it's a, a, a kid's toy or a piece of complicated electronic equipment, we tend to do that. And we do that with, with God's wisdom as well. God wants to give us his wisdom but the way that we learn how to do that is through his word. 2 Timothy 3, 16-17 says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful in teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Number three, we have to ask for it. Uh, no better example of this in scripture, right, than Solomon. Solomon's running a country, and he feels inadequate, and God is going to give him one thing, whatever he asks for, and Solomon asks for wisdom. And the same God that gives Solomon wisdom in the Old Testament is the same God that gives us wisdom when we come to him, when we ask for it. James 1.5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and, we will, uh, and it will be given to you. We must learn to trust him completely. And uh, as, our, as our worship band comes back up, and as, as we close this morning, I just want to read this to you. Uh, that all comes our way is from the hand of a good and loving God who, knowing all things, actual and possible, is exerting his unlimited power to execute the best possible outcomes by the best possible means to fulfill the highest possible purposes. This morning, if you're doubting God, if you're struggling with something in your life, know that God is working through you and even though it may be hard, even though it may be uncomfortable, even though you may not understand what's going on, an all-powerful God who is good, who is holy, who is sovereign, 
is working out in your life the best possible outcome. And it's not going to be easy. There are going to be times and people that frustrate you to no end. But if you allow God to work through you, he will bring about the best possible result. And if you're struggling this morning and you're, and you're saying, no, I still don't understand why God could allow this sickness to be in my life or how God could allow this accident to have taken place. There's not a better way that God could do it than the way that he's doing it right now. And this morning, I just challenge you to continue to think, dwell on the, the, that thing, that thing in your life that you're searching for answers for right now and that you're struggling with. And allow God, just as he did with me this week, to have you stand back and to see his wisdom at work. It's there if we ask him for it. Stand this morning as we sing.
Dear God, this morning, may we be able to rest and to live in your wisdom. Dear God, the, the, the trials that, that were presented in life, may we always look at them and just know in the background you're working things out. You're orchestrating things and there's not even a better way possible for you to do what you're doing than to present us with the circumstances we're going through. And dear God, when we struggle with that, when we forget that, may we always know that you are working out our good. Dear God, thank you for being a God who doesn't let us just wander in our own lack of wisdom. Thank you for being a God who doesn't leave things up to our own just natural skills and abilities. You're a God who cares about us. You're a God who, who came and, and, and died for us in the ultimate act of love and wisdom. And dear God, help us to rest in that today and this week as we go forward. We love you and it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for coming this morning. You are dismissed.